Hello, and welcome to Endpoint Management Today, the Big Fix podcast. My name is Rhonda Studnick Kaiser, and I am the Director of Customer Experience for Big Fix. And I'm James Stewart, Big Fix subject matter expert. Today, in our special edition, we're going to focus in on how you can use Big Fix to triage and address urgent security concerns. And we have two special guests with us, uh, John Talbert, uh, who is also known as Brawley33. Uh, he's frequently out on the customer on the Big Fix forum, and he is our director of professional services. And we also have Michael Carr, who leads our accelerated value program. Uh, he and his team are like stormtroopers of Big Fix, basically. Uh, or maybe they're on the, I, I don't know. Anyway, they work side by side with our customers to be sure that they're getting the most out of our products. Welcome, you guys. Yeah, for the record, uh, I think I identify more as Mandalorian. They can shoot and hit what they shoot at. <laughs> nice. All right. So, um, you know, we've all been there. Uh, you come into work on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and you get that heads up from your boss as you're walking in the door that uh, there's been a compromise of some sort, or even worse, you're uh, getting ready for work and you hear a news story on the radio that you know your boss is going to have heard and the CIO is going to have heard and the CISO is going to have heard and you know that you're going to be walking into the middle of a firestorm. And uh, today we just want to talk about how with Big Fix, you're armed with the best technology out there to investigate and find what your exposure is, how to remediate it based on the recommendations of the security community and yeah, how to get back to health and how to show that you've you've made it made everything right. So, let's dive in. All right, sounds good. Yeah, where do we start? I guess. <laughs> where do you start? What 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 do we want to talk about first? So I, I'll take I'll take the the, the mic for a minute. Um, it was uh, Saturday night, and I saw the news starting to come out of Wall Street Journal about uh, the. Uh, the uh, issue from this week. Um, and Monday morning, we sat down, uh, my team and I, and said, how can we help, right? This is, a, this is a thing where Big Fix can probably do some good. Um, so we started looking at the, uh, the directive that came out and uh, identified a couple of things that we could do to help out um, and started a forum posting on that. Uh, Jason Walker led that uh, from my team. Uh, and we looked at uh, initially the uh, the indicators of compromise piece. The uh, there's a DLL involved in this particular uh, I- event that uh, had some SHA one hashes and SHA two fifty six hashes published. Uh, so we put together some uh, some content and brought it back out to the uh, to the community through the forum and uh, started working with people out there to get some content that would help them out. And were you using the signatures posted by FireEye on their GitHub to help determine IOCs and stuff like that? Uh, we we actually started with the cyber uh, the cyber uh, DHS uh, announcement, which had uh, one specific hash in there for uh, for a DLL. Uh, so we started there, right? And as as we moved through the day, we more people were publishing more things. Uh, Microsoft's uh, published, uh, made a publication. The the affected uh, software vendor published some things. We used the, some of the FireEye indicators of compromise as well um, to sort of work on how can we refine and make better. Um, I do want to touch for just a second on 
kind of the method we used behind the scenes in the some of the things that we put out there on the forum. You may or may not know it's expensive to scan an entire hard drive for a specific file. And this DLL is most likely in program files under a specific file path, uh, but it might be other places. So we used several techniques to scan less than the full hard drive based on likely paths in order to try to track down this DLL where, where it might be. Uh, and we refine that throughout the day. Um, so we're kind of doing a balancing act between expense of doing the scan and value out of doing the scan in Big Fix. Right. Well, and also those typical places are going to cover the majority of cases. But if you know you have this product installed and you know you don't install it in the standard folders that you, you know for certain that you install it in a custom folder, then you may need to do extra work to modify that targeted property to take into account that custom path. Now, you can get the install path out of the registry and use that as a part of the search. So if that works for you, then you may not have to program in your specific location. But if you're aware that you use a custom location, then that can help you in your search. Yeah, so interestingly, with the detection piece, if you've got BigFix inventory, the DLL, even if you're pulling the, the, the SHA-1 uh, values through inventory, the, the DLL is not going to show up in your standard scans, although you could create a, a, a custom signature to, to scan specifically for that DLL. But the executables do get scanned, and so you could pivot off of the version of the executable, the main executable, to see what was installed when in your BigFix inventory interface uh, and kind of look back in time to see, you know, over the last, you know, as long as you've had BigFix inventory installed uh, or prior versions installed. So was there a time when you were vulnerable before? So even if you've upgraded right. um, since, since the announcement, uh, you can kind of look back and do a little bit of forensics uh, from that angle. And, and that can also help clear you where you may have had an older version that was not exploitable and you now have the newest version that's been patched and is also not exploitable. And with big fix inventory, you could tell it doesn't look like I ever had the version in between. I have only had the versions before and after, and then you can help identify that with big fix inventory. And I would also point out that if you have the application information windows analysis activated in the Bez inventory and license site in the big fix console, you'll also be able to look into that, across all your machines with either session relevance or inspection or just, you know, review which systems have it installed in what version. And if they have, you know, the vulnerable version or newer installed because it doesn't have that historical information, then those are machines you may want to investigate. There's another nuance I want to hit here, uh, and that is kind of the method you use these detecting pieces in Big Fix itself. Uh, one might be suggesting or, or thinking to use an analysis or a property uh, to, to do these scans on your endpoints. For this type of very temporal event where you want good visibility quickly, I, I almost want to use big fix query here instead of building a fixlet or building a, an analysis property just so that you can do that initial urgent, do I have this opening type of scan and get to a, yes, we need to do more. Yes, we'll, we'll do more as things develop. But that initial gut check of, 
is this me or is this not me with regards to the vulnerability open? I think Big Fix Query is really going to shine for you there. Well, and it's also very useful for when you do find something to do further investigation and testing of lots of different potential things to look for when you're when you're not quite sure what's going to work perfectly you can try lots of things quickly with query i would disagree slightly with that though that i think getting a property that doesn't report often you know maybe set it to once every 12 hours or something like that that is going to give you back good data is a bit more reliable and certain than query because it's going to give you back that feedback across all your machines for sure eventually um, as those machines come online and report in. And so that, that certainty that a property can give you is, is hard to beat as far as the results come coming in. Uh, but you're right. A query is a really awesome way to start. Yeah, James, I totally grant that point to, to you. Um, as long as you have a concept of lifecycle for this thing that you created for this event, that sometime right. in 2021 or 2022, you're going to remove that thing because it's no longer needed. I like query because it's temporal right. and it cleans itself up. Well, and in the analysis that, that we have as an example in the forum post, some of these properties are heavier, like the ones that are going to do the hashing. And like the, the reporting period is every 12 hours, but the ones that are looking for a specific file, whether or not that exists, and reporting on just the version information and install paths and product details, you know, those are not as heavy. Those are not as problematic as that hashing one. So those are less of a concern uh, long term. But you're right. Once it's no longer needed, cleaning it up is going to be better than leaving it around forever and having it just be uh, constantly pulling your systems when you don't need to anymore. I would like to touch on one other element of this area. And that is indicator of compromise. The, the things that we're checking for in the form post are more an indicator of you're vulnerable to be compromised. Um, I don't think anything we've got in the form post at this recording uh, indicates that you've been breached, only that the vulnerability is still present. Right. Which is why a DHS uh, guidance says don't destroy the systems, just turn them off because you'll want to do more forensics to see was the was the vulnerability leveraged for a actual breach? And then what did they do from there? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that's tough is it's it's hard to ever be fully certain of those things. But what this can help you do is identify the systems where you need to investigate and need to look further. But it's not going to tell you you've definitely been exploited, only that you're definitely exploitable. And it's possible that there are some hashes and things out there that we're missing, uh, especially as far as the the other DLL goes, the net setup service DLL. Like there may be other hashes of those out there that we are not able to detect currently, but just the file existing suggests an issue. Yeah, that net setup that SVC DLL, it's a specific place because that's actually the name of a legitimate DLL when it's in your normal system right. folder. But when it's in the, the SysWow folder, it's actually not supposed to be there. So the, these attackers were very clever in using a file name that would be recognizable, but in a location that is not the proper one. So just because you yep. see that in your system folder doesn't mean it's a compromise. It's got to be in the, in the correct place. Yep. But it's also a stronger indicator than the the other DLL perhaps. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's also interesting that you could 
fi- you could see that file on all of your systems and, and be extremely worried, but um, you may just be looking at the one that's supposed to be there. So that's a smart thing that they did that kind of confused the matter, which is interesting. Okay, so now we've uh, we've we've talked about ways we can find what we're looking for, especially uh, in the context of the the sunburst exploit. So uh, why don't we can we shift gears to how we might use Big Fix to help remediate and uh, keep us safe now that we found what we need to look for? Absolutely, Rhonda. I'd love to take that if I could. It's all yours. So we have uh, the entire gamut of response options, right? We can make a very tactical response. John did mention earlier that the DHS directive was try and maintain these machines so we can do forensic analysis uh, after the fact and all, all the way from there to nuke it from orbit, right? And get it off my network. And I'm, I'm unwilling or unable to do that forensics myself. And I just want to get back to work. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do with Big Fix across that entire scale. Some of the easiest things we can do here are just to power those machines down. So uh, it's really hard to be executing DLLs uh, if there's no power to the motherboard. So we can use Big Fix to run shutdown commands across those boxes. You know, we could suspend them. If you've got uh, network access controls uh, or NAC for short, we can we can connect with the NAC team and, and isolate those machines so that they aren't uh, a threat to anything else on the network. And then obviously, if you've got anything like server automation in your environment or any sort of OS deployment, uh, automated build type systems, uh, we can power those machines down and power up new ones in their place, uh, especially in the virtual world or in cloud. You know, we can replace the functionality of that machine. It was there for a reason. It was doing work. In the case of something like uh, server automation or wherever we're building that new machines, we want to make sure we're not installing whatever the compromised software is. But we can we can replace that hole that has been generated in the network with uh, a new one if you've got processes there as well. I just want to touch on that. That's a really really good point. You could have a OS image that already has a compromised version of this installed in it, and if you continue to use that image in the future, then you're reinstalling that compromised version. You could have a task sequence in your OS deployment process that installs that compromised version as a part of that process. You could have a big fix baseline where you're installing that after the system is imaged automatically with that compromised version. And you need to check each of those locations and make sure you are no longer installing the exploitable version in any of those places. Absolutely. This is one of the reasons that I am a big fan of clean imaging. And things like server automation are going to help me ensure that I'm installing up-to-date versions, um, e- even outside of known exploits with indicators of compromise. But we're, we're constantly in a cycle of patching applications that have known vulnerabilities. The OS itself has known vulnerabilities. So the, the more independent I can make all the pieces of the puzzle, the easier it is for me to switch one out later. If, if it's in an image, I've got to build an image. I've got to test an image. If it's, if it's in a server automation task or if it's a policy action, I can very quickly make modifications to the way that it's installed, the order that it's installed, the version that's installed. It's it's very granular. Right. Yeah, it's a really good use case for thin imaging because then you don't have to maintain that image and you don't have to go and f- fix that. And that may take some time to update your images to remove known vulnerable software versions. Um, I, I did also want to touch on 
you mentioned like rebuilding with OS deployments or similar things. And I just want to mention that that is counter to the DHS recommendation as far as maintaining the systems for forensic analysis. So you may want to talk to your security team. And you know, also, if you are think there might be some kind of active exploit going on, then you definitely want to maintain things for forensic analysis. So that's something to note. Yeah, you could also, though, use OSD to build a fresh new system on, you know, a new virtual machine or a new physical hardware. So I think I think there's still value absolutely. there. Yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely that's, my That's intention. really true. Yeah, because you, you could power off a VM, potentially delete the VM without deleting the hard disk, and then move the hard disk image for that VM into some sort of, like, archive for forensic analysis and no longer be able to run that directly in your virtualization stack and then spin up a new VM and re-image it and bring over what you need carefully to get that system back up to where it should be. So that's a good point that you can still use something like OSD to spin up a new system, but not actually remove the old one entirely. It's really that hard disk image that we want to capture for forensic analysis when it comes to these kind of things. You know, the beauty of this conversation is, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about this very much in the, in the context of the Sunburst exploit, but this is your exploit playbook, no matter what, essentially. Absolutely. You go look for what's compromised. You get an inventory of what's compromised. You figure out what your stance is. You figure out how to fix it, what you want to do to get it to stop having further impacts within your organization. And then you deal with the aftermath. But just knowing where you sit is the most powerful part of it. And that's where Big Fix really shines in that perspective. So yep. we can use this in, in any situation. So this is really our, our, our best known method, so to speak. Yeah. And there's, I, I can think of uh, a few times in recent history where a vendor has released a software update that included a root CA that was like improperly installed and used on the system and could be then used to mint certificates for anything. And that is something that like you want to detect and you want to deal with and you want to get rid of on on your systems. But it also wasn't something that was like being actively exploited. It was just like a known bad vulnerability and something that could be used for nefarious means by malware. But the difference here is this vulnerability, we know that it's been actively exploited for sure. And so like that's quite a significant difference and we we've know we know that it's been around for many many months and it's been actively exploited for many many months so um there, i think there's a higher degree of concern and investigation warranted by this particular um vulnerability than your typical vulnerability that has no known exploitation in the wild but is just a vulnerability that's discovered and that's a a, a distinction to make yeah, you're absolutely right. There'll there'll be tweaks on each one of these things for each new situation, obviously. Yes. But you know, having having the uh, step one, step two, step three, and beginning there really gets you to the point where you can be, you know, an asset to your risk management team, to your security management team. Big Fix, just as it stands, is just such a powerful tool to really be able to to do this kind of analysis. And it's coupled not just with, you know, the discovery is one side of it, but the remediation is is also, that's the excellent part of it as well. So back and forth, it really works best of both worlds. Yeah, and there's a massive just um, 
helpfulness of just knowing what your exposure is and being able to be certain of that. Like everywhere BigFix is installed, you will be able to tell, is this software installed of any version? You know, very easily. That is incredibly useful information when dealing with like, you know, your boss who's saying, what's our exposure here? What What's the situation? And the fact that you can get that information really quickly. And if you already have that analysis activated, you know, that application information windows are similar. You, know, you can pull back that data right away. You don't have to wait for your computers to report into this new analysis that we've posted on the forum. You can start with the information you already have, which is excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing we should probably talk about is the credentials on those systems uh, and the fact that nothing in the interconnected world today lives on an island, right? We've got machines that have access to credentials that are not just on box. They may be AD related or interconnected to other machines. That machine somewhere may have uh, stored access to AWS or vSphere or other homebrew applications or, or anything, you know, you name it, this box may be connected to it. So part of the forensic analysis, regardless of whether or not you start diving into whether or not this machine was exploited, uh, you need to take a step back in your environment and think about what is the role of this machine that we found potentially impacted an application on? What does it do? Is it a mail server? Is it a, is it a vSphere machine? Is it, you know, does it, does it run accounting what does that machine have access to? Because you can no longer explicitly trust the credentials that that machine had access to or any of the other endpoints on the on the network that it may be able to connect to. Does it have uh, access to Samba shares, file system stuff? Does, you know, what, what could that machine do in the wrong hands? Uh, kind of project almost a worst case scenario and make sure that you're cleaning up all the breadcrumbs and follow the bouncing ball through all of those scenarios and make sure that we Leave no stone unturned, basically. We need to make sure that we have yeah. driven all of the access away from that machine, that passwords have been changed, that you've revoked credentials, that you've done an audit of your AD or your VMware or uh, anything in the cloud. With this product that Sunburst affects, not only is it the systems that actually run it, but then all the systems monitoring or that are monitored by it and have stuff installed on that are potentially affected. But then... The product also allows you to store credentials for Active Directory, AWS, vSphere, and many other potential systems. And those credentials are also suspect. And also the things that could have been done through lateral movement with those credentials are also suspect. So if you suspect active exploitation, then you really need to be very careful not only about all the systems it touches, but then also all the credentials and invalidating those and resetting those up, but then also what could have been done with those credentials as well. Correct. Were other credentials created? Was the, the access that the application had or that anything on the box had capable of generating new credentials? Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Because th not only do you invalidate the credentials that are on those boxes, but you potentially need to invalidate any credentials created since the exploitation may have occurred. You may need to audit um, when new credentials were created and how they were created and what they are for and how they're being used. That's a really big one that's hard to unwind. Yeah, that's not a can of worms. That's a case of cans of worms, right? Yeah, and I think that's the scariest thing about all this stuff is it's impossible to be certain that you've covered all bases completely. If you go through this process and you walk back everything and you unwind everything and you investigate everything, 
And all along the way, you just never find anything in any logs. You never find anything in any audit trails. You never find any signs of active compromise. You're probably okay, but that's hard to be certain of. You know, it's hard to be certain that the logs haven't been tampered with, that the audit trails haven't been tampered with. You know, with some of these external systems like AWS, like you may have a little bit more certainty that the audit logs are accurate, but even then, like it's really tough to figure all this out. Yeah, I I don't think that we we can get to certainty to your point. Yeah. And you know, we do live in a time where the bad guys only have to get it right once. The good guys only have to get it wrong once. So we're we're disadvantaged at this uh at this uh this playing field. Yep. But we do the best we can and tools like Big Fix give us that opportunity to unwind as much as we can uh when we can. So yeah. Yeah, and Big Fix can give you a lot of information really quickly about your exposure, but it's going to require a lot of work with a lot of information systems that you have, but it's also going to require manual investigation to really be sure, regardless of how many systems you may have and how many tools you may have. Yeah, this is where where if you have uh, the ServiceNow CMDB and you you have that integration working, then then you can go back to the people. You know, sometimes the hardest part of, of diagnosing something is finding who owns that machine and what its purpose is. Uh, so so uh, this is certainly something that uh, points out the fact that you know knowing knowing your IT assets ownership and job is a really important piece of of you know your overall information technology posture. It becomes really, really important in a situation like this. And uh, while not everybody has ServiceNow, certainly, you know, integrating certain fields out of ServiceNow or out of your CMDB into BigFix will certainly help you in that triage as well. Well, and that's another thing is if you have a really good change control process in place, and then during your forensic investigations, you find changes that were not a part of the change control process, and then you go to the application owners and like, did you make these changes? And they say no, then that's something to be suspicious of. And that's something to further investigate. And that's something that um, may point to different areas to look at specifically. So there's gathering lots of information and, and detecting exposure, but then there's also detecting changes and anomalies and then trying to track that back to your change control process and your application owners and all of these different aspects where those changes could be legitimate. But Mm -hmm. if you find suspicious changes and you can't track that back to a change control process or an application owner saying, oh, yeah, that looks right, um, then that's something to be even more suspicious of. Yeah, for sure. So for anybody listening today that wants to be prepared for the next time this happens, because there will always be a next time, what's the playbook that we would recommend to Big Fix customers? What things should they have enabled today as a as a punch list? Uh, James, I know you mentioned the ad remove programs analysis. Yes. Uh, Mr. Talbert mentioned that there's a lot we can do with inventory, right? If we're looking historically at versions of applications that were installed. What else can we be doing? How do we make sure that that stuff is on today so that when we need it tomorrow, it's there? So that's a great question. I think Big Fix Inventory has a great historical looking over your shoulder element to it that can be useful in situations like this. I think if you've got compliance, setting up that SCA server so that you've got, again, the data warehouse of what was um, in compliance, I might be looking for security controls suspiciously being changed. Yes. 
with no change control record to, to correlate. That's a really good one. I love that. And then insights, um, same thing, gives you a transactional kind of back look in time to look for things that changed that you didn't change or that your IT organization didn't change. Uh, I think those are the things I'd have in place ahead of time to help prep for the next time it happens. Well, and not just with compliance, seeing changes to those security controls that you didn't authorize, but also putting those security controls in place in the first place. If you don't have compliance today and you're not actively monitoring and setting security controls, getting your fleet into like a best practice security posture with compliance is a good way to help prevent lateral movement and help prevent exploitation. So when a vulnerability does get exploited and someone does get a backdoor in your systems, then they are less likely to be to easily move within your environment or less likely to make that exploitation in the first place by having those strong controls. So that's another great way that compliance can help. Gee, we have some really powerful products with BigFix. Absolutely. Sometimes we don't think of it that. <laughs> yep. I'm just used to it. We all play on expert mode now, right? Yeah. You, you take it for granted. Yeah. And then you get in a rental car and you're like, oh, this is miserable. Right. And this is something I've touched on before that I didn't understand about compliance because when I worked in education, we didn't have a compliance standard. We didn't have like a CIS or a DISA-STIG sort of standard that we held ourselves to, but we had a custom standard that we were supposed to hold ourselves to. And I didn't realize that compliance could help me get to that standard and tell if I'm at that standard or not. But then also when I hear compliance, I honestly like didn't fully understand what that means because I didn't have a compliance standard, but it's really about security posture and security configuration and security best practices. And security hygiene. Yeah, exactly. And when I frame it in that mind, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Because like I didn't have any PCI systems. So it's like, why would I care about PCI compliance? But I'm, that's not what I need. But it turns out like, oh, I did need this and I could have used it. And it would have made my life so much easier if I would have realized that I could have used it in that way. Yep. I just hadn't at that point in my career. Yeah, if that's if that's the standard that a, a company is held to to hold financial information or HIPAA information or, you know, all of those different checks are targeted at different business types, really. The checklists, right? The standards. The checks are all the same, right? This password length, is this port available? You know, can you do this thing? Can you log in as an anonymous user? Right. But it's really around that idea of what level of control do you have over the machine? How How tightly secured is it? And so, yeah, for anybody that doesn't fall into one of those strict standards, those checklists are still fair game for you in your environment. And BigFix will let you tweak them and adjust them. If you don't think a 72 character password that expires every two days is is your flavor, go in there and make a change and set it to what you feel you need to, to secure your business. But set something. Right. <laughs> set something. <laughs> yeah, set, but set something and check something. Yeah validate that you are in compliance for the thing that that you believe to be true uh, trust but verify yeah and that's something i hadn't appreciated is like i could use the cis checklist as a starting point and then implement only the checks that we cared about the most and also then tweak them to be maybe not strictly adhering to the standard but to the standard that we subscribe to ourselves that's one of the things from an education standpoint is like we tended to be siding on being more open and giving our users more access generally, but still wanting things to be secure and still wanting to have 
certain things that were mandatory controls, but I, I had never framed it in the like, oh, I could have used a CIS checklist as a starting point and tweaked it and customized it and came up with my own security baseline to hold myself to. Yeah. Um, we ended up implementing a lot of those controls in like a group policy or ad hoc big fix actions, but I didn't realize I could have made my life so much easier just by using compliance. You know, I've used compliance on a personal level. When we're setting up a big fix server to do some MDM stuff, it required it to be internet facing. So I had an internet facing server at my house. I was using it for work. I went through and as, you know, kind of due diligence, I used the DISSTIG checklist, security checklist, and I, I ran the uh, the checklist against the, the out-of-box 2016 server that I was setting up. And it was about 50% compliant out of the box. And then I used all the remediation tasks that were available on basically everything that had a remediation. That got me to about 90%. Uh, and then I went through and manually changed all the settings to get myself to be 100% disassistic compliant with this web-facing server, not because I am part of the military or the government, but because I felt like it made me feel safer. Yeah. Right. This is good enough for the government. It should be good enough for me. Um, and it only took me a, two or three hours to, to get from unhardened to hardened to a disassistic level. Now I went back down some of the, some of the more draconian ones, like the password length and the password change intervals. I, I did back those back down because they were just too hard to work with on a day-to-day basis. But I would recommend that for for anybody wanting to harden their enterprise against this type of vulnerability. Yeah. Well, and and that's another point is like, even if you do all of these checklists to the most draconian level, that doesn't mean that you're perfectly unexploitable, but it means that you are in a much, much, much better security posture uh, and much less likely to have major issues and less likely to have lateral movement and all this stuff. But that's one of the things that's so fascinating in our um, realm is that you can never actually achieve perfection unless you just turn it off and unplug it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and computing devices really don't do that well when you can't use them. So yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> it's always a balance between uh, usability and security, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So John was talking about hardening his specific machine. Mm hmm. Um, to take that to the next level, I have uh, we have an AVP customer who has a great process for securing their organization. Where when new checklists come out, they identify you know their gold standard build process. They subscribe only those machines to those new checklist sites, and then they use that as a feedback loop to start tuning all of the external enforcement tools. So they use it to tune their GPO for Windows machines, as an example until their out-of-the-box builds plus the GPO means no relevant checks. And then they start to roll that out elsewhere? Is that the idea? Exactly, because I don't need to remediate everything in the environment. I need to have a remediation policy in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so by identifying some some standard build machines and and solving it upstream with the GPO or a security policy... You know they've they've made the impact everywhere, and then correct. We we subscribe everything to those sites. Uh, we get zero uh, or very few relevant machines to uh, the the sum of all of those checks because they've been fixed upstream. And anything that is straggling, uh, we identify as is that an exception or is that a misconfiguration? It's a much more effective method of making sure you're in compliance than just turning on all of the checks mm-hmm. and chasing every machine for every check. 
Well, and that's another thing is you want to be careful about how you roll new things into production, and you don't want to just push it out everywhere all at once without careful testing and rollout procedure and progressive rollout. But that's a really good idea of using new machines, machines that have been, you know, their OS has been installed in like less than 30 days or, you know, Big Fix has been installed recently as your sort of early run at new changes because you know those systems are new and in flux anyway. That They're a good test bed for rolling out progressive new changes that you eventually want to implement everywhere, but you're implementing, you got to start somewhere and that's a good place to start. Well, guys, this has been um, this has been awesome. Um, I really want to thank you, uh, Mr. Talbert and Mr. Carr, for coming in and speaking with us today. Um, I appreciate your insight, and I know that our customers appreciate the insight that the teams have been giving out uh, via the Big Fix Forum. We'll mention in our show notes there will be links to um, the specific uh, forum post that has a lot of these measures in it. There'll be a blog posted about it. And then we have a couple of other resources. Uh, there's a SANS webcast um, that uh, you can review if you need a deeper dive into this particular exploit, as well as the Security Now uh, podcast episode that has information in it. So that'll all be in the show notes for you. So thanks again, guys, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad you could be here. Uh, and thanks again to our listeners joining us today on the Endpoint Management Today podcast. Uh, this podcast is the brainchild of James Stewart and Rhonda Stunick-Kaiser. The program is edited by James Stewart. Original music from Dan Corcoran.